Matthew chapter 8, the monsters are back. You know why? Because that's how it works in real life. They come back. You think you have them shot down. You think you have them defeated. You think this time it's going to be the end. And then that same old thing comes creeping back. Matthew chapter 8. We live in a constant flux of fearful information. The information stream in our world is toxic. Layoffs are coming. The economy's slowing down. Unemployment's up. The Middle East is about to explode. The housing market's down. The planet's warming up. Al-Qaeda is crossing the border into the U.S. Some deranged dictator's making a nuclear weapon in a back room somewhere. The polar ice caps are melting. A new strain of super bacteria that won't respond to antibiotics has been found. Fear doesn't want to share your life with anything else. Just when you have it fended off, it'll try to find another way back in. That's why Satan uses it so much. It's so dominating. It's so paralyzing. Have you ever been happy and afraid at the same time? Think about it. Have you ever been clear-minded and filled with fear at the same time? Have you ever been confident and afraid? Or merciful and afraid? Or compassionate and afraid? Fear is a bully used by darkness to own your life. And what good does it do? Has fear ever made peace? Has fear ever cured a disease? Has fear ever saved a marriage? Has fear ever saved a business? Look at Matthew chapter 8. What I want to do this morning is, is retell a short, simple story that you're probably familiar with in Scripture. And I want to wrap this whole series up this morning having to do with fear. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Look at it. Then he got into the boat, this is talking about Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Verse 24. Is it frozen? Is it here? Okay. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Now, I think sometimes we can become so familiar with certain occurrences in Scripture, that we read them too fast. We read past or through some of the really significant things that are found in those occurrences. And what I want to do this morning is just kind of retell that story and bring some of those out to you. Can you imagine your life without fear? It almost feels like that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples on the boat. He said, don't. Why are you so afraid? Can you imagine your life without fear? We might be tempted to ask, when Jesus says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Are you kidding me? 
Did you not, did you not feel the salt water brush across your ankles, sweeping across the deck of the boat? Did you not feel the boat rock? Did, did you not feel the wind blowing straight in your face? Have you seen the storm? Do, do you, when you're afraid and Jesus comes to your life, you may say, do you not know what I'm going through? Have you not seen what just happened? Have you not felt my pain? Did you not hear what the ball said? Did you not see the x-rays at the doctor's office? What do you mean, why am I afraid? When Matthew remembered the storm, he used an interesting Greek word to describe the intensity of the storm. The word is seismos. It's where we get our word seismograph, seismologist. It's an it's a interesting Greek word, and it basically means a quake or a trembling of eruption of sky and sea. This wasn't, this wasn't a tropical storm. This was a serious, mean storm that would shake you to your core. Matthew only ever used the word seismos two other times in Scripture. He used it at the death of Christ when the Bible says that Calvary shook. And the other time is he used it at the resurrection of Christ when the grave shook. So I don't know what that makes you think. Apparently this storm was so great it could only be compared in language to the death and resurrection of Christ. This was a big storm. We know from the story that fear came up on the disciples suddenly. We know that because the storm came suddenly. The fear came with the storm. Isn't that how fear usually comes in your life? You're running along. Things seem to be fine. Something happens. The clouds darken. The waves pick up. The wind hits you in the face. And all of a sudden, you're afraid. I didn't see that coming. I was caught off guard. Look at how these two verses are linked together. Verse 23 and 24, it says, Then he got into the boat, and, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. Now, now think about what those, what those two sentences are saying. Jesus got on the boat, the disciples followed him, and a storm came up without warning. You and I would hope for better results. What was Jesus doing leading the disciples into a storm? Didn't he know a storm was coming? You would think it would say, Jesus got on the boat, his disciples followed him, and a great rainbow appeared in the sky, and a flock of doves hovered over the boat where the disciples were, and the sea was as flat as glass, and the sun was a warm, glowing light in the sky. That's not what the story says. This story is a reminder that sometimes when you get on the boat with Jesus, you get wet. Sometimes he leads you into places you didn't expect. Sometimes disciples endure rough seas. In John 16, Jesus said, In the world you might have trials. He said, In this world you will have trouble. It's almost prophetic. Take that as a prophecy. In this world you will have trouble. People who follow Jesus get malaria. They lose their jobs. They're sometimes treated unfair. They battle addiction. They bury their loved ones. And the result is, just like everybody else on earth, we face fear. Following Jesus doesn't make us immune to life's trials. 
It's not the absence of the trials. If you're taking notes, I came here basically to only tell you one thing this morning, and here it is. What makes you and I different from people who don't believe in Christ is not the absence of trials, it's the presence of Jesus. That's the difference. And boy, it is an enormous difference. It's not that we're not touched by all the things that other people are touched by. It's that we're also touched by something else. And it's the presence of Christ. Verse 24 says, In the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. It's that in the middle of the storm, we're touched somebody by somebody who's not panicking. We're touched by somebody in the middle of our trouble that's not afraid, that's not backing down. The disciples were filled with fear. Jesus was filled with rest. He was filled with peace. The storm that Matthew can only compare to the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus slept through. Now let that register for a minute. Can you sleep just at the peak of a roller coaster? You, you, you know that feeling when your stomach feels like it's lodged in your throat because you're going down too fast? Any of you ever been seasick? Could you sleep? <laughs> you could die. You couldn't sleep. Seasick. In a wind tunnel. Right next to the thunder of a marching band. Could you sleep? Somehow Jesus could. By this point, the disciples are up in arms and they scream out to Jesus, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Save us, we're going to drown. And if you look at this story in the Gospel of Mark, Mark actually adds another sentence there in the middle of their screaming. He says that they said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now that's a very interesting question. Don't you care if we drown? Think about all the things they did not ask. They did not ask about Jesus' knowledge. Don't you know there's a storm? They didn't ask about Jesus' power. Lord, can't you stop the storm? They didn't ask about His wisdom. Lord, what would, what would, the, what would the wisdom of the God of the universe say about how to navigate storms? What they questioned was His character. Don't you care. See, this is what fear does. It erodes our confidence in God's goodness. Right there is a revelation and a lesson for us for the ages. If you've never even emotionally wondered in some of your hardest times... Is God there? Is He real? Does He care? Does He notice? Does He feel what I feel? Does He understand? Can He connect with me right now? Has He forgot about me? We begin to wonder if God loves us at all. If God can sleep in our storms, does He really care? If His eyes close when ours get really wide, does He really care? 
If Jesus allows storms to come into our life, even when we follow him on his boat, does he really care? We, we usually, we're usually being driven by fear when we doubt God's goodness. And I just want to say something to you. I can't explain everything that's ever happened in life. I can't explain everything that's ever happened in your life or my life. What I can say to you is, don't let yourself get into a place where you doubt God's goodness. No matter, I don't understand how to reconcile it all, but I know this, no matter what you're experiencing, God's good. He's still good. He's still good. <laughs> He's a good God with a good heart and a good plan and a good, and a good love and a good eternity and a good heaven and a good son who came and died for you and a good forgiveness and a good peace and a good healing and good miracles. I don't understand it all. I don't understand how to reconcile every bad thing that happens. I just know he's good. And I know when you get to a place and I get to a place that we can't understand that anymore, we're probably being driven by fear. We're probably being driven out of our eye sockets by fear. It's fear that's doing that to us, not God. God's good. Fear unleashes serious doubts, and those doubts bring anger. And it's when we say, God, if you don't fix this, you're not God. Fear causes us to accuse. Why do we accuse? Because we're control freaks. That's why we accuse. Fear as it, at its center is a perceived loss of control. So when life starts to spin like a tilt-a-world, we reach on with a death lock to grab on to whatever we can grab on to to fix it, to control it, to steady the boat, to calm the storm. We try to control whatever we, is in arm reach, our diet, our house, our spouse, our kids, an armrest on an airplane, <laughs> and sometimes... Sometimes our job, we just try to find something that we can, we can control because that's out of control. And the more insecure we feel, the meaner we become. Did you know that? You, I guarantee you, you deal with someone that's filled with fear and feels like their life's, life's out of control. Anger will come out of them at some point. We, we, we growl and we grind our teeth. Because we feel cornered. Martin Niemöller was a German pastor who made a courageous stand against Adolf Hitler. The very first time he met Adolf Hitler, he stood in the back of the room and heard Hitler speak. When he came home that night, his wife asked him what he had learned. And he, he told his wife, he said, here's what I've learned. I've discovered that Adolf Hitler is a terribly frightened man. Isn't it, isn't it, this is an extreme example, but isn't it true that as fear presses in on us, it makes us more bossy and the tyrant in us starts to come out. Snap at your spouse, snap at your kids, snap at... Why? You say, well, I'm, I'm under a lot of stress. What's that, what that's code for is, I'm afraid. Something's wrong and I'm afraid and I can't control it, so you happen to be standing here and you look like I can control you. 
Congratulations, you won. No, no. Fear, if you're taking notes, is not only a false prophet. Fear is a thief. Fear will steal and steal and steal and take and it'll take until you're empty and it'll wait for you like these monsters that have come back. It'll wait for you to have even one shred of encouragement or breakthrough and it'll come and take that too. And then lie about your future. People filled with fear cannot love deeply because love is risky. Love, to love deeply, is to risk rejection. And fear won't allow that. People who are filled with fear can't do anything great because greatness risks failure. People who are filled with fear can't serve powerfully because serving powerfully risks being mistreated or misunderstood by someone. People filled with fear can't dream wildly because dreams risk disappointment. No wonder Jesus comes with such a violent rage and wages such a relentless war on fear. Jesus intends to drive the bondage of fear out of every corner and every brain cell of our life, every corner of our soul, every part of our being. He wants to drive it out. Do you know the gospel says 125 times Jesus gave... In the, in the four Gospels, Jesus gave 125 directions. Of those 125, 21 of them are some form of do not be afraid. Do you know the second most often command Jesus gave? Love God with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. Maybe Jesus realizes that we can't quite bring ourselves to the point of loving anything if we can't deal with our own fear. Do not... Be afraid. Jesus takes fear seriously because he understands the destructive nature of it on people. When Stacy and I lived in Gulfport, uh, the the um, we were involved in city league sports a lot, and the um, sort of the patriarch, kind of the kind of the, kind of the if you let me use a, a mafia. <laughs> The godfather of the sports league uh, in town passed away. And when you heard anybody talk about that man, they always quoted this one line because it was what he was always known for. And then, and then as we gathered for um, uh, opening season next spring and they had a tribute to him, you heard the people who came out and did the tribute talk about, oh, you know, he used to always say, so we should always say about, about baseball. It's not about the coaches. It's not about the parents. It's all about the kids. And he used to say that everywhere he'd go. And that, that thought had sort of driven itself into that sports league all over that city. I, I wonder after Jesus died, if the disciples in his absence, when they reflected on his life, I wonder if they ever looked back and said, you know, he was always telling us not to be afraid. He was always telling us, don't be afraid. 
He was always saying something to us like, take courage, don't be afraid, don't fear. He was always calming our fears. I just scanned through some of the things that Jesus said about fear. And I just want you to hear them this morning. He said, don't be afraid. You're worth much more than sparrows. Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Don't be afraid. Just believe and your daughter will be well. Take courage. I am here. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Do not fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't let, your, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. I will come and get you so that you'll always be with me wherever I am. Don't be troubled or afraid. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Boy, that's a good message for all the end time people, isn't it? I don't hear any end time messages that aren't filled with fear. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Jesus wakes up from a nap on the deck of a boat and asks his disciples this question, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Fear is not a sin, but it can lead to sin. If you try to medicate fear with anger or drinking binges or introverted destructive withdrawals or pornography or, or massive amounts of, of uh, television and media and entertainment to try to numb out, to try to dry out, to try to forget. We, we, we mistreat ourselves to try to clamp down on faithless control. We cut God out of the solution and make the problem worse. We drown in our fear and, and, only, and we only interrupt it. We interrupt it, but then it comes running back in. So I thought that was going to do it. I forgot about it for a little while, but it came running back in. Anxiety dominates and defines us and worry saps out all our joy. Panic, I just want to say this, without reservation. Panic's not from God. The Bible has the audacity to stand on the edge of humanity in 2 Timothy 1.7 and say, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Would you say that with me this morning? God has not given us a spirit of fear. I want you to personalize it now and say me. God has not given me a spirit of fear. That's true. It's true. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. This story wraps up with Jesus standing out on the edge of the boat, commanding the wind and the waves to hush, to be quiet. The great seismos has met the great creator. And the creator says, flat, come. He can control. Let Him do the controlling. The sea becomes like a frozen lake. And the disciples end this encounter with one of the great questions in Scripture that has by and large been ignored.
what kind of man is this? That's a great question. What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? What what kind of man is this? What, What kind of man is this? And the scripture sort of whispers back, the kind of man this is, is the kind of man that heals blind eyes and serves broken people and calms great storms. Do you know what made the difference in this story? Do you think this is the first group of people that have ever been caught in a storm on a boat? But this story is different from every other story where anybody's ever been caught on a boat in a storm. The difference is Jesus was on board. You know, people look at your life and say, I know a hundred people that have been through what you're going through. I know a hundred people who've had cancer. I know a hundred people whose children have gone through this. I know a I know hundred people that didn't think their marriage was going to make it. I've known all kinds of people. And, and it's, like the, it's like darkness and the enemy and the monsters in the world will just whisper at us, what makes you different? And God has an incredible answer. Only one thing. One plus one does not equal two when God is one of the ones. The incredible answer deep in the heart of God buried in Scripture is Jesus makes the difference. I really came to tell you one thing this morning. It's not the absence of trouble that makes us stand out in a dark world. It's the presence of Jesus. You're not going to overcome fear by effectively avoiding every bad thing that can happen because you can't avoid every bad thing that can happen. But what you can do is walk through the bad things that are happening with Jesus' presence burning in your life, in your mind, in your heart. What kind of man is this? Basically, in this series, we've said love drives out fear, trust, faith. And can I tell you where love and trust and faith grow the best? In Jesus' presence. I don't learn to trust Jesus through the storms of my life when He's on the shore. I learned to trust Jesus through the storms of my life when he's on the boat with me. He might be asleep, but he's there. And that's where I learned to trust his voice, his care, his heart. I'm going to ask Pastor Micah to come this morning. As I prayed for you this weekend, it seemed like to me that the Lord shared some specific things that He wanted to touch this morning with His presence. And I want to encourage you today. Bring your fears and hold them under the water of His presence until they drown. In a minute, in a short time, in a brief encounter, 
His presence can change you. Your eyes can lift up off the thing you're staring at. And they can set on Him. The weight that's on your heart can be lifted. And it's His presence that does it. It's the fact that Jesus is on the boat. That He's with you. That He's there. That you can sense Him. That you can hear His whisper. What kind of man is this? The kind of man that calms storms and calms souls. Some of you will leave this morning with the storm calmed. Jesus is going to grab hold of some of the storms that you're in and He's going to lock His grip down on it and He's going to end it. Some of your storms aren't going to go away. But He's going to, with open arms, He's going to embrace your soul and He's going to calm your soul. And the difference is up to Him. But He came today to do it. I want to share with you this morning, as I prayed, some very um, random but specific issues that I thought that the Lord wanted to deal with this morning in our prayer time. As we've talked for a month, it, seem, it seems to, to much of our staff like one of the big things that God has been pushing back on in this series is the fear that lives in marriage. The fear. We live in a time where, where marriage is not just falling apart, that's just a symptom. Where marriages are under great, great attack. The home, the marriage, the agreement, the unity, the couple. And through this month, we have watched God continue to, to put Himself in the lives of couples and families and just heal and, and minister and open hearts and bless families. And as we end this series this morning, one of the things that Jesus really wants to do is to walk into your marriage and deal with the fear that's in it. The fear that may turn you against each other. The fear that may turn you away from each other. The fear that you're going to lose each other. Fear. Another thing that seemed clear to me is the fear that that oftentimes lives in a single parent's home. A single parent doesn't have the other spouse there to rely on. But I just I just heard Jesus say to me, specifically parents and teenagers. Single parents, parents and teenagers, the fear, the fear that goes through that time of being alone as a parent, and even a couple who feels alone because they're because their teenagers going through some changes and they don't understand each other anymore, and that and that tunnel of chaos can cause a time where you feel like you're going to lose each other. But I'm saying to you today, this is a specific call. And Jesus has said, 
I want to minister my presence in that scenario. This is uh, different. But some of you here, are, are you've been overwhelmed battling with fear of losing your eyesight. Fear of losing your eyesight. Gotcha. And Jesus wants to deal with that today. Fear of losing mobility. Maybe it's geographical or physical. Maybe it's physical body, not being able to be mobile. Maybe it's geographical. I don't know. It's just what, just what I heard. Fear of losing your mobility. Jesus wants to step on to the bow of the boat this morning and deal with that fear. The last one is fear of losing your purpose or fear of not finding it. You know, I said to you last week, people who don't know what their purpose is oftentimes battle with fear. Maybe you don't know if you're in the right job. Maybe you don't know if you're in the right place. Maybe you don't know what it is God put you on earth for. But I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus wants to deal with your fear of losing or not finding your purpose. Let let the great creator step into your storm and speak to you today. Would you stand with me?